listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the show. As you know, we have well over 100 episodes, all focused on business development within our archive of the Rainmaking Podcast. Most of them fit anybody in B2B sales or professional services business development. Some of them are more specific to legal, and this particular show relates to legal. If you're not in the legal industry, I don't think this would add much value to you. But if you are, then continue listening because we're talking about counterintuitive problems with partner compensation. And our guest is Blaine Prescott. Now, Blaine, he's quite impressive. I've seen him speak before at legal conferences. He's a consultant and the managing shareholder with Mesa 5, which is a consulting organization that serves law firms related to strategy, structure, and growth. He has more than 30 years of experience working within the legal profession, and he works with law firms and in-house counsel throughout North America, Asia, and Europe. Make sure you check out his bio on LinkedIn and also connect with him. Go to the show notes and you'll be able to do that. His company, Mesa 5, it's a boutique management consulting firm. And he's got some great ideas specifically related to partner compensation. So if that's something that's important to you, make sure you take a listen. If it isn't, then I don't think this is going to give you much value because it's very specific to law firms and how they compensate their partners, which is quite interesting in itself. As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions Legal Intelligence suite of products, Firmscape and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Thanks for listening, and here's my interview with Blaine Prescott. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Our guest is Blaine Prescott, and today we're talking about counterintuitive problems with partner compensation, pitfalls and traps that law firms should avoid. Blaine, thanks for joining me on the show today. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Now, I'd heard you speak at a conference talking about law firm partner compensation. And what I got out of it that was was when you've seen one law firm, you've seen one law firm. They're all totally different. And let me ask you, why is that? What's kind of the history with law firm partner compensation and how has that evolved over the years? Let me kind of ask you that and start there. Sure. You know, law firm partner compensation systems evolved from what, a time when law firms were really, really small. And But now what we've seen over the last 30 years is, you know, we have huge law firms that now have yeah. thousands of people. So the concepts that worked really well when you were a two-lawyer firm don't always translate well to a really large firm. So the combination of size, I think, changes in the legal profession. It's easier for clients to move. You know, unlike uh, if you go back 30 years ago. Clients never moved, so yeah. nobody could take business with them. Why was that? Was uh, that because of non-competes or just they just traditionally didn't move? Clients just didn't move. They were amazingly loyal to an institution. And then, you know, beginning in the 1980s, that changed. And when partners suddenly realized that they could move um, and they could take business with them, they realized they were, had a lot more value. So a compensation yeah. system had to start to reflect that. That's one of the reasons for seeing some of the old traditional lockstep systems now changing to make more of a difference between the partners who really control the business and the partners who just you know do the work. Right, right. Yeah. And so what have you seen are some of the more common pitfalls that law firm leaders fall into as they're paying their partners? Sure, sure. You know, I'd say probably number one on my list would be 
just a, a common misconception, and it's completely understandable. And the, the misconception is that if I create incentives, then I can get people to do whatever I want. And the truth is that doesn't really work. Matter of fact, most of the science, most of the the experience tells us that isn't true. And that's kind of shocking because, you know, if you live in the United States, our whole economy is based upon, well, there's financial incentives and you can go out and make yourself great. But the reality is incentives don't create skills. Incentives Mm. really react or act more like a filter. They tell you who has those skills and who doesn't but they don't create it. You know, maybe the the simplest proof of this is that, you know, if you think about this, virtually every law firm has pays their rainmakers the most money, right. you know? So they have huge incentives to go out there and generate business. And yet the reality is in most law firms, maybe 15% of all partners are great rainmakers. They can consistently generate work year after year after year. It's from big clients, big matters that's profitable. You know, the average partner doesn't do that. They, they're good at retaining some work once they get it, but they're not necessarily good at going out and, and creating new relationships. So if the incentives are there, why aren't they working? Right. Well, right. it's because incentives don't really work that way. They're, they're just more of a filter. I think the real lesson here is, you know, if I was a leader of a law firm is stop telling everybody they have to be a rainmaker and try and set, take a step back and figure out what are each partner's strengths and how can I use those strengths, things that they do well, to benefit the firm? It's a right. far more successful strategy. That would be probably number one on my list. Okay. Okay. And what's the second one? Probably second one, and this is kind of a result of, of technology. The second one is too much data probably creates more confusion and unhappiness. You know, one of the things that's happened in the last 20 years, technology has become a, a major factor in law firms. We can now measure and graph and report on everything. We can, you know, if we can look at your hours in the library, whatever. We can produce a data. Well, a lot of law firms, a lot of law firm leaders think, gosh, more data would be a good thing. It would give me a better idea. The reality is more data doesn't make for easier compensation decisions. It doesn't create better motivation. It doesn't create more happiness. It actually creates less of all those things. And the reason why is really simple. You know, there's this psychological concept called confirmation bias, which is people look for the information that supports their views and they ignore everything else. So you could say, yeah, look at this data and and it says we should pay you this. Well, they say, yeah, but look at all this other data you're producing. It says I should uh, look at my hours in the library. Based on that, I should be the highest paid partner in the firm. <laughs> so too much data tends to create confusion and unhappiness would probably be my second one. You know, that's interesting to me. And let me ask you this, when a firm is looking at creating rainmakers, They've got two ways to do it. They can grow it by teaching people how to do this, or they can create an opportunity that's going to get a competitor to come in. And I'll never forget the very first time I figured this out, that lateral partner recruiting is actually one of the most effective forms of client development because you're not just getting top-line revenue. Forget about the top-line revenue. You're getting a partner that over 20, 30 years has created trust with a dozen-plus executives, C-suite executives over the years, and it's that trust that they're getting. So what do you think the best way is that a firm can really keep their people happy? How do they incentivize them? If what you said that the economic incentives don't work, how does a firm encourage their people to start billing and increasing their skills 
in terms of selling and getting work? You know, number one, it would be just be realistic about what people's capabilities are, but use them according to their capabilities. You know, I think one of the common problems we find in law firms is that you go and get the rainmakers, the people who produce the most business and say, you should teach everybody else how to make rain. One of the fundamental facts you find of human behavior is people who are great at doing things are not always the best teachers. Right. Um, oftentimes, they have no idea why they're successful. They think they do, but they don't. So uh, the first thing I would tell people is try and focus on what people are good at. And maybe the best way to explain this is we see a lot of people who generate business through amazingly different means. I have people who do nothing but write and they generate business. Now, the problem is the majority of lawyers, with all due respect to any lawyers out there listening in, the majority of lawyers are not great writers in terms of what clients love to read. They might be great at writing a brief, but most clients really don't love write, reading your briefs. Right. So the few people who can write really well, we can use those skills just in the same way. There's some people who are great schmoozers. They can go out and meet people. They're good at it. They're comfortable with it. There's a whole lot of people that don't like that. There's some people that you know we can have them go out and speak. They can. Uh, we were just working with somebody recently who, you know, fairly common experience for big rainmakers. If you said to this guy, I need you to go do a speech in 10 minutes in front of 3,000 people, he'd say, oh, I can do that in a heartbeat. Right. But if you said to him, I need you to go talk to these two people in 10 minutes, <laughs> It drives him crazy. He gets nervous about that. The key is figuring out what your strengths are and figuring out how to use those. Right. That's the problem that most law firms face is they don't either understand that or they don't want to spend the time figuring out how to do it. Right. So let me ask you this. You talked about economic incentives that don't really work. You talked about too much data creates too much unhappiness. What are some other pitfalls that are common that law firms fall into related to partner comp? Probably the next one would be maybe related to the last one. In the last 20 years, a lot of law firms have realized they could measure the profitability of just about everything. And a lot of law firms assumed, gosh, if I could just calculate the profitability of each lawyer, that would solve all my problems. I'd just pay them however much profit you generate. Right. The problem with that theory is calculating how much profit you generated in one year isn't the same as judging all the value you bring to the law firm. Because if we only measured, if I only compensated you based upon profitability in a single year, would you go out and recruit lawyers? Right. No, that's, that doesn't contribute to it. Would yeah. you train lawyers? No, that doesn't contribute to my short-term profitability. So one of the interesting things is law firms have realized, like in the last 10 to 15 years, that profitability is interesting but it's not the be-all and the end-all, the compensation that so many of them hoped it would be. As a matter of fact, the kind of interesting thing, the law firms that um, heavily rely on profitability to you know, calculations of lawyer profitability tend not to be as profitable as the law firms that have more of a broader view of compensation. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. And so related to this, I noticed that, and you know this too, there's two different ways that firms can do it. And there's probably some hybrid ways. You've got an, a closed compensation and there's different levels of that where closed, it might be the, the few leaders, or it could be the single managing partner that knows what everybody makes and nobody else knows that, a black box formula. Then you've got open where all the partners know what everybody makes. And there's different levels where it's just the equity partners know which bands or which tiers other equity partners are in, but they don't know exactly how much they're making, which is the best way to do it. Because I would think that a closed model with nobody else knowing what everybody else makes, then nobody's going to complain. What do you think about that? 
your observation is a good one. Closed systems historically have produced more happiness, but there are a couple of caveats. Okay. Um, Clubs where you don't get to know what anyone else in the firm earns work really well as long as you trust the people who set compensation. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly. One of the problems that we see occurring is that maybe it's with the advent of social media, people share more information than ever before. Even in closed system, people go out and start sharing information and they share how much they're earning. Right. And if um, one of the challenges then is that if the people they share it with don't fully understand everything that you did to justify your compensation level, they sit back, scratch their head and say, how come I didn't get that much? So, you know, in theory, uh, close systems work well. And I can show you lots of law firms that have them and they work incredibly well, but they do require some other things. They require these high levels of trust. They require that everybody respect the system. They require that, you know, you you probably are doing things constantly to engender that trust. You communicate with the partners a lot. And that's where law firms tend to fall down as they say, oh, I've heard closed systems are great. Let's just never talk to anybody and let's not do anything to you know create that sense of trust. Well, guess what? They fall apart pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I think that my observation when I first got into legal way back in 2009, I came in from a different industry and I came in through a way of, of training and teaching other legal recruiting firms how to recruit from a training business I had. And I knew that if I'm ever going to get back into recruiting, I want to do legal because it's interesting. And looking at what a law firm is, it's nothing more than a collective of peers held together only by conditional promises to each other, and that's it. And when that trust is gone, one person leaves, and then another, and another, and the clients are starting to scratch their heads, wondering, can they support us? Can they give us what we need? And the rest is history. And so I think you're right with that that closed system. If you trust your leaders and if you trust your colleagues, and I remember explaining to one partner one way, I said, if you can take your eyes off yourself and focus on what's in the best interest of the firm, and you know, and you don't even have to wonder, are you going to receive credit for that trust? Then that's the best model. But the issue is everybody else has to lock arms with you, take their eyes off themselves, focus on what's in the firm's best interest. And then that rising tide raises all ships. Is that altruistic? I mean, Karl Marx, he, he was absolutely right. Communism is beautiful, but it doesn't work because of human nature. What do you think? Are we, are we on to something here? Something here is this uh, just absolute heresy. No, no. I think there's a lot of truth behind that. Maybe the the issue that I would tell law firm leaders to focus on and that I think a lot of firms don't really understand the importance of is you as a leader building trust. It's not just how you set compensation, even though that's the topic we're talking about here, but you're judged on how well I can trust you every single day. You know, for example, I used to work with with a, a managing partner who would stand up and give these speeches. And literally half the time, people would go sit back and stretch their heads. That made no sense whatsoever to me. (laughs) I have A, sometimes they would say, I have no idea what he just said. Or B, he would give these long convoluted explanations of what the firm was doing. And people's like, "Uh, that doesn't make sense. Well, what that did was that undermined his own credibility. And then that starts creeping out into other areas. And that's when you see the circumstance you just talked about. You get a big rainmaker says, you know what? I'm just tired of this. I'm going to go somewhere else. And you know, the downside is we've always said most law firms are one or two laterals away from a dissolution. You get the right one or two people leaving, it starts this cascade effect. Other people say, gosh, if that person doesn't think this is a great place to be, maybe I don't think this is a great place to be. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I've seen that too. And I, and I see that right now. And then, then I start hearing the same story from different partners in different practice groups in different offices. And I'm hearing yeah. the exact same narrative about the problems going on within their firm. And so yeah. it's interesting. So, you know, I think we should uh, probably do another program about how to build trust among attorneys, you know, that's because that seems to be a core area that has a law firm has to have. It's a universal topic for all businesses. You know, leadership yeah. has to trust. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the L word, leadership. That's something else I notice is missing in a lot of firms. Do you think that's something that has to be there when a firm is really trying to, to get the partners to come on board with the compensation program? Yeah. You know, the, one of the most common characteristics that we find of firms that are really struggling with compensation is a lack of exercise leadership. A lot of firms want to think, gee, if our compensation system should just run itself, it doesn't require you know me to be out there actively talking and, and leading the partners. Well, that might be a nice theory, but the reality is it's nothing like that. And, you know, if you are a great leader leading your compensation system, you also have the ability to then go out and attract other people to the firm. But the universal truth is I don't find any organization inside or outside the legal profession anywhere that is consistently successful without great leadership. It just doesn't happen. They might yeah. be successful because they create a unique product for a little while, but then everybody else jumps on the bandwagon and creates the same product. It's leadership, hands down. That's the number yeah. one factor. I think you're right. I think that's the glue. It's not going to be the compensation that's going to keep people no. with the firm. No, no, it's absolutely true. Maybe the proof of that is we occasionally come across bizarre compensation systems that are a failure everywhere else, and yet they work in one firm. And almost universally, the reason why is because of the leadership of that firm. They make it work. That's interesting. So what do you think is the best compensation model that a law firm should adopt? <laughs> this is going to sound like a weaselly answer. It's the one that fits your culture and supports your strategy. Now, if I had to go out there and say, gee, what are the majority of firms going to do well under? What kind of system will they, they do well under? It's probably a subjective system, meaning that there's no formula that mm -hmm. that sets compensation for everybody. But we try to look at a number of factors, and those factors may differ by individual a little bit. They are a system where we actually sit down and talk to you before we set your compensation. We talk to you about not just how you did this last year, but we talk to you more about the coming year and how to use, again, this, this concept I talked about earlier, how to use your strengths to most benefit the firm. It's not just sitting there telling everybody you should be a rainmaker. I think uh, the other thing is we tend to find that you know compensation systems that do better in the majority firms tend to be compensation systems where actually we set compensation at the beginning of the year, not mm -hmm. at the end of the year. For various reasons, it gets people working together. And then compensation systems that probably do keep a little bit of a bonus component to the end of the year. The elements about a bonus component that make it successful is and this, again, counterintuitive items here, but we don't share bonuses with everybody. Matter of fact, we, oddly enough, we find that firms are happier and more successful when only about 20 to 30% of all the partners end up getting a bonus every year. Oh, interesting. Uh, wow. Deep psychology there, but it's almost universally true. You, you create much more happiness than spreading a little bit of nothing among everybody, as opposed to you know making the bonuses truly significant for the people who are truly different. They outperformed everybody else in the firm. A bonus really should be a bonus. Yeah, yeah. that's right. It should mean something. 
Yeah, that's right. So do this, Blaine. Think of a firm that you know, and you don't have to mention the name, of course, that you have the most respect for. And you say, boy, if I could be a part of that firm, that would be one I would do. I would do it in a heartbeat. I'd join them. How would you describe their compensation model? You know, very similar to what I just said. You know, there's one firm I'm thinking of in particular. The things that they do in their comp system, they sit down and talk with every single partner every single year for about an hour. The interesting thing is when we do a compensation interview in that firm, we might spend five minutes talking about compensation. We spend most of the time talking about your strengths, how to use those, you know, how can we help you be more successful? We don't sit down and say things like, you know what? You should be a rainmaker, no matter whether you have rainmaking skills or not. That always equated that to telling a basketball player. You would be more successful if you would just grow another foot. That's not (laughs) terribly useful advice. The other things this firm does, they have a relatively small compensation committee. They have relatively few compensation levels. They have high standards to become a partner. I think that's one of the constant battles every firm runs runs up against. They get political pressures from partners say, I want my guy, my woman, to be a partner next year. And so a sort of a universal problem that most firms have is they probably promote too many people into partner. And then that just creates a long-term issue for them. This firm is probably pretty tough about their standards to become a partner. I think the difference is because they're so good about supporting you and grooming your skills of the people that they bring into the firm. They're really good about promoting those who should become a partner. And kind of the interesting thing is they're one of the firms that have many more women partners because they recognize long ago that many of the barriers on gender issues were artificial barriers that they didn't need to perpetuate. I think the other things that you would find about that firm are um, they spend a lot of time trying to redirect the focus of their partners outside the firm. We see way too many law firms. One of the most common problems we run across is law firms that are very internally competitive, partners competing with one another every day. Right. No, this firm, I think one of the great things about them is that they, they constantly get groups of partners coming together and going out and capturing new clients together and giving them all credit and saying, let's do that more and more and more. And so it shows up in their profits. Their profits are extraordinarily high. Well, this is fantastic, Blaine. And I appreciate you kind of pulling that curtain back and letting us get a glimpse at what an ideal platform looks like. And so as we bring this to a close, think of this. What advice would you give to somebody that's in charge of partner comp? If, If there were three action steps they should take to really evaluate and make changes to how they pay their attorneys, what would those three steps be? Sure. One would probably be don't ignore the science and the experience about human motivation. It's contradictory. It it contradicts many of the pre-existing notions that people have, but it's worth spending a little bit of time understanding those. Right, Uh, sure. Second thing, a lot of leaders avoid face-to-face conversations, especially face-to-face conversations about performance. They avoid trying to give any constructive feedback to even to rainmakers. The interesting thing is what we find is that because we actually do a lot of compensation interviews for law firms, we actually tend to have tough conversations with people. We talk to them about their strengths and weaknesses. And I can't tell you how many partners say, you know what, this is like the first time somebody said an honest (laughs) conversation with me and I really enjoyed it. And again, we're not trying to tell them 
to fix problems that we don't think they can fix because I don't believe most people change that much. It's trying to tell people how to use their strengths better. And maybe the third one is probably one of the most universal problems that we run into is make sure that your mechanism for tracking origination, giving credit for generating client relationships and generating client matters is fair. The problem is a lot of law firms get trapped into a system whereby they have some rainmakers who are rainmakers at one time. They're now the most highly compensated people, but they prevent any changes to the system of tracking origination. Gosh, if I had to pick one issue that creates more problems with compensation, it's tracking of origination, hands down. So those would probably be my three that I would tell law firm leaders to focus on. Well, this is great, Blaine. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. And tell us about your offering. What is it that you do? What services do you offer that you'd like our listeners to know about? Yeah. You know, Mesa 5 is just a a little boutique management and strategy consulting firm. We're just a small group. We tend to work primarily with firms. I would say we probably do more of our work with large firms, but we certainly have a few small firms. I think the common issue is we're pretty picky about the projects that we take on. If we have to believe that you're really interested in changing, I think one of the challenges for all leaders is that they they want to change the results, but they don't want to change any of the process. We work with law firms, in-house counsel, pretty much across Asia, North America, and Europe, You know, basically helping them to be more successful, successful not just in terms of profits, but also in terms of just helping people to be happier and more productive. That's great. That's fantastic, Blaine. This is great. Thank you so much for being here on the show. I know I'll be seeing you speaking at some other legal conferences that we'll both be attending here in the near future. And I hope to have you back here on the show in the future, Blaine. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it, Scott. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.